Good listeners, welcome back to the pod. It's Jazz here. My co-host David is missing today. Uh, he's the one who normally does the job of opening, but unfortunately, he's not here with us today. Busy with some stuff. But I do have my other friend with me, John. John, how are you? I'm pretty good, uh, Jazz. I, I, I'm in lockdown here in Sydney, and um, I've used the time to just stay up all night watching Wimbledon. You know, uh, anytime there's a Roger Federer match, uh, the next morning I'm bleary-eyed and incoherent. So uh, let's see how we go today. Happy Friday. Yeah, happy Friday to you. So what's happening this week, mate, in the world of investing, maybe starting with the property market? Obviously, it's a month end. There's uh, figures out there for the month of June. Uh, what are the numbers telling us? In that space. Yeah, yeah, I mean, unless you've been living under a rock, you know that real estate is, uh, you know, continuing to, to storm ahead. You, you know, nothing moves in a straight line, but it's been fairly uninterrupted, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, in 2021, really. And when I say it, I mean sort of regular, consistent, um, above expectations, capital price uh, growth. Um and so let, let, let me run through a couple of the numbers. I mean, one of the interesting things you'll find is that Sydney is, is outperforming. And I don't think anyone would have thought that. Sydney's mm-hmm. a very robust market and it's crushing it at the moment. Okay, so, so for the month, uh, Sydney property prices were up 2.6%, mm-hmm. um, up 82 for the quarter. So you think three months up 8.2%. 8.2% is what you'd normally expect in a good year. And it's doing mm-hmm. that per quarter. Annually, 15%. Um, yeah, 15% uh, for the last 12 months. Now, bear in mind that that includes the COVID dip last year of about 3%. Mm-hmm. So the run rate at the moment of 8.2% per quarter is staggering, really. Mm-hmm. So that's Sydney, 2.6% for the month. Melbourne, 1.5% for the month and 7.7% for the year, which mm-hmm. is half of, half of Sydney for the year. Brisbane, 1.9% for the month and 13.2% for the year. Adelaide, 1.6% for the month and 14% for the year. So that's doing really well. Uh, Perth is flat um, and uh, 10% for the year. Hobart, 3% and 20% for the year. Mm -hmm. Darwin, 0.8% for the month and 21% for the year. And then Canberra, 2.3% and 18.1% for the year. So if I look at the last 12 months, the best performers have been Hobart, Darwin, and Canberra, uh, followed by Sydney. And uh, I, sort of, I sort of dwell too much perhaps on Sydney as the biggest market in the country, but um, yeah, st- staggering. So for overall for the, for the country, uh, for the month, it was up 1.9% and 13.5% for the year <clears throat> and, uh, and about 2% for capitals and 2% for regionals. So... Yeah, huge. So, I mean, what to say? Uh, it, it's it's storming ahead, really. I mean, the, the price values are just continuing unabated. Um, there's a couple of interesting things within the numbers. I, I mean, for me, when I look at Sydney, I, I look at um, what I find interesting is, is actually that the units, unit prices, are starting to outperform House prices. Now, over the last 12 months, house prices have done about double what unit prices have done. But if you look at the recent clearance rates, um, units cleared in Sydney, 86%, and houses cleared at 82%. Now, 
that's a bit of a shift we're seeing. And I'm guessing it's just affordability. So affordability is starting to push uh, the home buyers, and this is very much a home buyer market, mm-hmm. as opposed to an investor market, into back into apartments. Mm-hmm. The, re- the only reason for units to be more popular at this point in time will be the from a price perspective, not really that uh, the demand for units otherwise is that strong. It's just people can't afford it. It's fair to say. Yeah, that, that's right. And look, the devil's in the detail because uh, there's still no demand for inner-city apartments, mm-hmm. uh, whereas, you know, there, there's, there's demand for apartments in places, you know, in the St. George area or Cogra, for example. Um, uh, so, so the devil's in the detail, but you, you, you're seeing uh, people, I guess, out of necessity go back into, into units. My guess is that um, purely because it's become so imbalanced and that house prices are so much more expensive than unit prices. I think over the next 12 months, units will outperform houses, but that they will both do well. Yeah, that'll be interesting to watch, I think, because um, the unit demands overall otherwise hasn't been that strong enough. Um, I mean, there's all this money sloshing around and it needs to find a home. And so, it, but it also needs to be supported by income and, <clears throat> and so on. So all this money needs to, needs to be deployed. Mm-hmm. but someone needs to pay it back, right? <laughs> it could be the government, it could be a private investor. So the money is going to get, um, is going to go into consumer products and in, into assets. A lot of the money is going to go into real estate because when money gets printed, it goes, it gets printed as debt. So it goes into, into assets first. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you can't afford to pay a house back because it's gone up by 17% in the last 12 months, mm-hmm. you still need to deploy the cash. It's just going to go into something less expensive. So. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing is uh, looking at that uh, figures that you mentioned change in the dwelling values, pretty much, I mean, all the states are running in double digits annually, except Melbourne and Perth. Uh, and when you see them running in double digits, but the actual inflation is only two to three percent. Uh, it's very interesting. <laughs> <laughs> That's a red rag to a bull. Inflation. Yes. I'm not sure about that. The, the old CP lie uh, has a way of uh, telling us what we want to hear. <laughs> so, yeah, I'd say I'd say inflation's probably around eight percent at the moment. Um, yeah. But uh, who knows? My my kind of broad thesis. I've said it on the the pod before. <clears throat> should double from 2029. Sorry, 2019 to 2025. That's a six-year period. It should double in that time. Uh, not in a straight line, obviously, but it, it'll broadly go up. Um, now, if you think one thing that's keeping a lid on APRA getting involved is that if you look at real estate performance over the last, say, four years, it's done bugger all. It's done about 1% or 2% per year, mm-hmm. uh, although that's rapidly changing. Now, Sydney property prices, Melbourne property prices, do on average 7% per year And that's been the case for over 40 years now. Mm. So if you think, okay, we need to revert to the mean, Sydney property prices, Melbourne property prices need to go up on average by 7% per year, but they've been going up at 1% per year for the last four years. Basic scribbles on the back of a uh, napkin suggest that for for two years, property prices need to go up at about 17% per year just to restore that mean, to get back to 7% a year. Mm-hmm. That's what's happening. It might, the, the only weird thing is it might do it in one year. <laughs> it might go up like 30% in one year and then it's 
totally corrected the, the last couple of years. Look, it's, 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 it's too fast. It's, it's unsettling. It's too fast. So what does that mean from a mortgage perspective? Let's say if over the next four to five years, if the property prices go up by, well, you've said this number before, 50 or 60%, right? Uh, yep. I'm still being conservative on that, by the way. But if the two uh, current house medium value is about a mil, all of a sudden it becomes 1.5 mil rate. Mm. There's no room to move over there. Downwards, upwards maybe, but downwards there's none, right? So that means the wages will really have to catch up at a super fast pace. To be well, able to, or we are a renter's nation for the rest of life. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you. Um, what happens is if they don't do anything to interest rates, let's say interest rates stay at the, these levels and you can borrow at 2%, let's say, um, um, unless they change the interest rate, because real estate crashes come because they're, they're, they start raising rates too quickly. That's essentially what happens. If they just leave the rates there, property prices will adjust higher to meet the new interest rate, which is now too low. Property prices reset higher and then it just goes sideways. It would only crash if they started putting them up and then it would only be able to go up if something else happened like immigration opened up or they put interest rates down again. So there's no crash if they just leave them. Just affordability would tap out. Mm -hmm. We just reset higher. Yeah. Salaries are an important part of the economy and it's an important metrics in assessing property um, uh, affordability. However, um, not everyone earns a salary and those people can be very wealthy. So the, the, the biggest and the, probably the worst example is that Warren Buffett doesn't pay himself a salary. He gets dividends from, the, um, uh, from Berkshire Hathaway every year, but doesn't make a salary. So his salary is zero and he's the richest guy on the planet. Um, the other example would be that earnings can come from capital. So if you uh, sell a business or if you uh, sell crypto and you make a lot of money, you know, that's not a salary either, but you've suddenly, you're suddenly a millionaire and you're making a lot of money. So there's a lot of ways that, uh, to, to be cash flow, to be cash rich and to not uh, earn a salary. And in, in the age of zero interest rates and inflated capital prices, people are using things like uh, crypto proceeds to buy property um, despite not having a, any salary or any income. Mm. There's a bunch of ways to get your hands on cash flow. Mm. Yeah, that's an interesting thought. Uh, that's a, uh, with the underlying assumption that these markets will keep on seeing the runs that they have seen in the past, whether it's the crypto market or the stock markets, right? So, um, and plus, obviously, you do need a lot of capital for that in first place. So, but a different way to think. Warren Buffett is uh, not a average guy on the street so we'll, we'll let him slip over there yeah. what what else is happening in the real estate space mate anything else that you want to touch on before we move on to the next uh i'd, I'd just say that uh, just a little bit on the supply i mean supply of new listings uh, new listings is up by 26 percent. the supply of total listings is down mm -hmm. uh compared to, to a year ago so you know the so, so more stuff is coming online uh but the demand is far greater, or the demand growth is far greater than the supply growth, but supply is definitely coming up. Um, in terms of buyer demand over the last week, uh, all the cities were up with the exception of two, two capital cities. Uh, buyer demand was down in Tasmania and Perth, mm. which is interesting. I, I don't think very much though. And just finally on, on uh, 
rental demand. So rental demand was down about 10% from a year ago. Uh, and, and, you know, we're sort of seeing that in, in broadly speaking, lower rents, although houses uh, tend to be holding up. Um, so, yeah, so uh, I, th I think that, you know, I think rents are going to start to turn around. But my big, my big uh, thing would be that uh, sort of reluctantly units are going to start to outperform houses uh, as, as markets sort of just weigh up affordability concerns. So we'll, we'll, we'll see. We'll see. I, I think the June data is going to be interesting as well. So two, two of the four weeks of June are going to be in lockdown. So I think what we're going to see is statistically at least um, it will appear as though the property markets have softened. But actually, it's just that um, there's this great cessation of property transactions, or at least a slowing down of property transactions. So I think that uh, June date is going to be an anomaly. Mm -hmm. um, it's going to slow the market down. It's going to slow prices down. Uh, it's probably a good thing, but it's also going to be artificial. So we'll wait and see what happens in, uh, sorry, in, in, in July. Yeah, well, be I'm more waiting for spring and summer to crop up to see if the market demand is really going to shoot up once again, because uh, yeah. that's the time where the market is at its peak. So it'll be to see. It will be good to see what the what the runs look like then. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So we'll close the real estate book over here and move on to some yeah. other pieces of news that we have. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Let's do it. And the big one this week has been is um, there was an article out in, I think it was in AFR this week in one of the financial newspapers, which is talking about where Reserve Bank of Australia thinks basically crypto economy will hit roughly about 32 trillion by 2027. So according to That's them, a lot of the assets will get tokenized whether, uh, which is the existing physical assets or the existing asset classes using this new technology called blockchain. So um, whereas the market cap currently only is around, what, under 2 trillion kind of thing. So a yep. uh, lot of these assets to get uh, gets tokenized, which means uh, from my investing perspective that uh, if, you, if you can find the right tokens to hold on to it is going to be a very interesting market and like you said there will be a few crypto millionaires probably that will <laughs> pop up <laughs> so, so let, let's uh let's unpack this this idea of tokenization because i'm way behind the curve on on crypto right so you'll have to talk talk down to me <laughs> <laughs> or talk slower at least so when you when we say so what I hear is that crypto is a way of transferring value from one person to another person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and so if we take a real estate transaction, if you're, if you're transferring property from person A to person B and you're doing this via tokenization, mm -hmm. that's like saying I'm going to give you an Ethereum token to represent transfer of the ownership. So I have the Ethereum token. It's going to you. You now own, own the property. Mm -hmm. And this token contains all of the data, it's got the conveyancing, it's got the mortgage, it's got all the data related to that property transaction that's trans transferred to you. Mm -hmm. Does that mean that one Ethereum token needs to be worth a million dollars if that's the price of the property that's being transferred? No. Or is it like one, one Ethereum token is 300,000, I'm gonna give you three Ethereum tokens 
to transfer the $900,000 house. It's more the latter, whatever the value of the token is at the, at the time. But Ethereum, I think what this, in the context of macro picture, what this means, I think is in the past, uh, whenever there were new public, whenever there were new startups being listed on the stock exchange, this is going to be very similar to that. Whereas now, instead of the startups being listed on the stock exchange, you have actually got the opportunity to front run it by buying the tokens. What you have to do is essentially do your initial research work to find out which ones are the right platforms. So as an example, what you just said before, Ethereum, if the real estate was to be tokenized, on the Ethereum blockchain, and it was to hold the uh, the immutability of the transaction, where the transaction uh, is using basically the Ethereum blockchain uh, to hold the records. Then obviously, Ethereum becomes more popular as a platform or as a company. You can say, in, or in a simple language, think of it as a company. It's not really a company; it's a blockchain technology, right? But it becomes more popular, and it goes up in value. Now, depending on what the value is at the time, you transfer those many tokens, or it could be pegged, which is more likely to be the scenario where it will get pegged against another token, which will be purely used for transferring of the digital asset real estate in this case. Let's just say it's uh, XYZ token, which will be pegged against Ethereum. And Ethereum is the underlying technology that's basically making it all that happen. happen. So think of it as a uh, web 2.0 to some extent. So the, I think the challenge in this space is going to be is finding the right uh, technologies or the tokens to bet on. Because uh, there's already, I think, 3,000 of them out there, mm. uh, including Dogecoin. So uh, it, it will become interesting to see how many of these actually survive or a lot of them will basically disappear with time and the new ones will crop up, which will actually ha have some value because this is all experiment at this stage. Basically. Yeah. So fascinating. So it will be interesting. It's a, that's a big market cap, 32 trillion, I think what Reserve Bank is predicting over there. So if it happens over the next, uh, whatever, five to six years, mm. it's a fascinating space to watch and uh, grow so, grow yourself into. I think. I was I was watching a Max Kaiser interview yesterday. <laughs> He's always always entertaining, uh, but he was sort of the way he was saying it. You know, you got to. He was very. It's very pro Bitcoin. I don't. I don't think he's particularly interested in in the altcoins. But he was sort of saying, you know, if you could go back to 1998 and buy a piece of the internet, wouldn't you? Uh, and he says that's what buying Bitcoin is. It's going to support, you know tech yeah for, for decades maybe centuries yeah it's bitcoin is more of the like the boring gold in the right. Crypto world, right but then there's other interesting ones which are like mining stocks and uh, uh other companies uh like ethereum and all which which um probably will grow at a faster rate i think yeah whatever, whatever those tokens are none of us know but they'll probably grow at a faster rate but 
Bitcoin is probably just the king of the ring because it was the first one and it's the most decentralized. And most secure. From a monetary network point, yes, that is the most secure network. Yes, that's right. So why is, uh, we were talking about this uh, before the pod started, but what, um, why, is, why is Bitcoin, why crypto going down at the moment? What's your view uh, on that? So that's a good question. Why is it going down? Maybe Elon just needs to stop tweeting or all the fear, uncertainty and doubt in the market with China closing down a lot of the crypto exchanges and the mining mm-hmm. uh, has added fuel to the fire because obviously the network participants dropped when China started banning it. So they had to obviously close down their mines. That has directly impacted the price. See, this world is very extreme world. Uh, I was talking to someone else the other day where on one extreme you have got is countries like uh, notorious con- countries like El Salvador, who are making it a legal tender, and some of the other names that will show up in the near future. And the other end, you've got is big country like China, who's banning it, right? And India has tried that in the past. So it's 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 living in the two extreme worlds, and hence you see is that kind of volatile volatility in the price where all of a sudden it drops by 50, 60%. And then another piece of news will come out, good or bad, depending upon, and the price will uh, move again uh, in the direction, depending upon the news, basically. Uh, so it's a, it's, there's no middle ground here. It's, it's either zero or infinity kind of situation. You, you, had, a, you had an analogy about, um, about the, the ship coming back to shore. Uh, do you want to <laughs> tell us that one? So there's a famous saying saying out there, if uh, it's all retail investors who are on the board and if the, if the board leaves, institutions have got the power to bring the board back. So basically, if the price has gone far too high and institutions haven't jumped on that uh, particular asset, they will bring that board back by shorting it, basically. So, because uh, obviously they have got a lot more money compared to the retail investors. So retail investors get easily shafted in this space because uh, the big whales will basically uh, move the price up and down and shake you out. So uh, obviously uh, we see that repeatedly happening, whether it's this, whether it's crypto or whether it's uh, stock markets, that's, that's how the game plays basically. Uh, that's how the big players play. They'll they'll drop the price, create a fear and certainty, and uh, uh, and then buy all the stocks or whatever crypto it is. And when the price goes too far high, then obviously uh, they'll take the profits, and there will be some bad news that will show up that will drop the price again. So it's it's just a rinse and repeat kind of thing that happens uh, yeah. with the institutions. I, I, I love that one. I, I um, I think it's I think it's true. It sounds very um sinister actually, and I thought that was uh, my contribution was conspiracy theories and all sorts. Of <laughs> but it sounds very sinister indeed. Um, like think about how many times um, China has banned crypto. 2013 or 12, 2012, 13, 2016, 17, 2021. Mm-hmm. How many times India? How many times India has done it? About four or five times. But they all at the same time are still allowing it. 
So the band basically is the fear, uncertainty, uncertainty, and the doubt that is being created in the market. I think. Uh, so. And I think I think the other reason is just the, the charts. The charts. I mean, if you look at the chart, I think it in was it April or May when it it you know it went, it went vertical very quickly. Yeah. And I, I don't know crypto very well, but I know commodity charts. And anytime you see that formation, it's it's essentially it needs to come back, test its limits, reconsolidate before it moves higher, and and that that takes pain and time. Um, Anything that goes up 10x will will come back and retests its ground somewhere, wherever the ground is, right? So mm-hmm. that's what's happened with uh, obviously Bitcoin went too far, too fast. Yeah, and then all of a sudden the institutions are like, yeah, we have 10x our money. Let's take the profits. Let's create some FUD and uh, let the market tank. And then let's reaccumulate and then go again. Like normal, normal. It's like a property cycle. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So if, we, if, we, if, if crypto is like, I'm going to screw this analogy up, but what's the, what do the Americans talk about? The innings of a, of a baseball match. I think there are nine innings in a, in a match. I could be completely wrong. I don't Which know. Inning, what innings are we in? <laughs> Currently. Yeah. Before well, it matures. Oh, you know what? There's there's few different hats that I wear on that personally. One is that this could be the last run that we see in the sense that uh, it won't see in future boom and bust like it has seen before. It will be uh, more of a steady growth where yep. in this case, steady growth basically still means that you will see 40 to 40, 40 to 50% crashes, but not like 80 to 90%, uh, which it has seen in the past. So that's one, one thought process with the, with the awareness that has happened over the last couple of years and with the uh, traditional finance integrating into this space, there's a high possibility that this could be the last cycle that it continues like this forever or uh, where are we if and if that's not the case then where are we in this innings uh, I am honestly 50 50 on it right now that the innings is already over or mm-hmm. if it's not we'll find out in the next three months where where, where we at the good run is already Hap- the good part of the run has already happened, is what yeah. I'd say. Because it so went from 4,000 to what, 65,000, and then back to 35. So hmm. it's pulled back, yeah, 50%, but it's still up five or six X. So the big, the big money's already been made. But, but if, if crypto as an asset class is going to change the world, it, we're early in that process, right? We, yeah, overall, yes. Uh, but which one of these will actually be the future? That'll be the interesting thing to watch. Mm. But yes, we are early in that space for sure. Which goes back to this article that by 2027, it predicts the market to be at 30, 30, 32 trillion, basically. So space to watch. We'll see what happens for the next few months and see how things change and pan out. But there is another big piece of news that happened again, I think it was yesterday, or sometime this way, which is the German funds are now allowed to allocate 20% of their portfolios into crypto. And this law is already effective as of now. 
So this is again, right? So there's two extremes. You see things, countries like China banning it, countries like India talking about it, and then countries like El Salvador, Paraguay, who are trying to make it a legal tender. And then Germany, where the German funds are not allowed to invest 20% of their assets into crypto, right? So uh, all in all, the space is growing. Which ones will survive or see the sunlight is to be seen. Yeah, that, that's um, th- that's 20% of German investment fund is about f- over 400 billion US dollars. Correct. Uh, that hasn't gone into crypto yet, but probably will go. Yep. Now, how soon, how quick it will happen, that's anybody's guess. But one thing to keep in mind is the rates in Europe, uh, especially in if we were to talk more specifically Germany, I think if you, I could be wrong on this, but I think if you put more than $100,000 in a bank, then uh, the rate is negative, which means now you are paying the bank to hold the money, all right? So with the pe- uh, people who have the money, will they prefer to hold it in the bank over there? Because they're paying to keep that money secure while uh, the money is being degraded or losing its value or will they go out and invest in stock markets and speculative places like crypto so it reminds okay now i was just going to say it's we don't know how quickly these funds will start investing and how hard they will go but if they go at the full pace that's again a lot of money jumping the Mm. jumping in the market and that's just one country yeah it, remi- it reminds me, you know, when we talk about investment funds getting into crypto, it reminds me a little bit of, uh, you know, some of the listeners might be aware of the SEC case against uh, against the SR- uh, XRP. So there, uh, the SEC is essentially saying that XRP, which is the coin uh, from Ripple, mm-hmm. Ripple Labs, um, that it's a security, not a currency. Mm-hmm. Uh, now's not the time to talk about it, but it's interesting that we're buying in all the, into all these things, but we're, we're saying that these aren't securities. These are... These are currencies. Uh, very interesting. And that what, what the SEC has said is that Ethereum and Bitcoin are not securities, but XRP is. And it'll be interesting to see how that unfolds. So if you're into the space, that, that is a case to watch. We probably will have a, an outcome but by the end of the year. And that's a really good point. See, those are the things that are unclear in this space. One is yeah. which one will flourish. The other is what's an asset, what's, in currency, what's a currency, and what's how are they being taxed and all that stuff as well. So... Uh, there's a few complications. It's too early, but it's an interesting space to watch and uh, uh, indulge into it from a uh, technical perspective uh, to understand which of these platforms will survive, I guess. Yeah. Anything else, John, that we'd like to cover? No, no. Just, uh, you know, hold on to your real estate, hold on to your crypto and hold on to your hat. <laughs> Have fun. We haven't got the precious metals, but another day. <laughs> <laughs> not, not much is happening at this point over there. That's right. Uh, to the listeners, none of this is financial advice. Uh, do your own research. Play safe, stay safe, don't over leverage, and we will see you next week. Cheers. Cheers and John. Bye.